Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, you're worthy to be praised, I worship you. Hi everybody, I'm Jordan Pine. And I'm Andy Baylog. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Jesus promised he was preparing a place for his disciples in his Father's house, which he said has many mansions. He also told them he is the way, the truth, and the life. These are common phrases that every Christian knows, but have you ever questioned what exactly they mean? Was Jesus talking about literal mansions? Why did he describe himself with three different words? What do these words mean? Well, in today's lesson, we'll explore the answers to these questions. To begin, let's listen carefully to the Word of God. A reading from the Gospel of John. Jesus said, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. So that was John chapter 14, verses 1 to 6. And to begin, let's use the space method to get our bearings before we dive into those verses. Space is an acronym that reminds us to consider the SP, speaker, A, audience, and C, context of a Bible reading before we attempt an explanation, or E. And this is a tool that we use before we begin any of these uh, 20-minute Bible studies. So looking at the speaker, the SP, it's obviously Jesus Christ. And it's important to keep in mind that this is the second member of the Trinity, God the Son. As for the audience, it's his disciples, including the Apostle Thomas, to whom Jesus replies at the end of the passage that we heard. As for the context, Jesus is comforting his disciples because he has just predicted Judas's betrayal and Peter's denial. He is preparing them with hope because they are about to enter a tough time of hopelessness. Now that we've considered the speaker audience in context, we're better equipped to give an explanation. So let's break down this passage of Scripture, Andy. Okay. Jesus begins by saying, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. Quick note, this is another proof verse for the divinity of Jesus. Here again, he is claiming to be equal with God. Praise God. So looking at verse 2 in John 14, it reads, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. Verse 3. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, 
that where I am, there you may also be. This is the New American Standard Bible version, or the NASB, which renders mansions as dwelling places. Now, if you look at the NIV, it it translates it as many rooms. And Jordan, my question to you, what is the origin and actual meaning of these words? Well, in the Greek, the word is mane, which is a a root word meaning to abide, remain, or dwell. The word abide actually reminds me of another saying of Jesus Christ, which comes a few verses after our scripture reading, John 14, 23, which reads, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. The word translated abode there is also the Greek word mane. So we could technically translate verse 2 of our scripture reading in this way. In my father's house are many abodes. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And now we can start to connect, Andy, this verse to verse 23 and see the meaning. But there are also verses in between that complete the picture. Right, because after Jesus tells Thomas that he is the way, the truth, and the life, he continues, and we pick up in verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to Philip, have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me, and there's that word abode, right? Abiding in me does his works. Again, that word abiding is a variation of mane. And then jumping to verse 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him, but you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. Again, abide, a variation of the word abode. Now, that word abides is also Monet. So, God the Father abides in God the Son. God the Holy Spirit abides in those who receive God the Son, meaning Christians. Both God the Father and God the Son will abide with those who love God the Son. Again, these are all key points. God the Son is preparing a future place where those who love Him can abide with Him and God the Father. What can we now understand about what Jesus is saying when he tells his disciples, Jordan, in my father's house are many mansions? He's clearly saying that faithful Christians will live in the presence of the Lord. Not that heaven will have rows of mansions on streets of gold, as some have imagined. More to the point, we see certain promises are conditional. Not the Holy Spirit abiding in us, that's not conditional. As we read in John 14, 16 to 17, the Father gives the Spirit as part of the gift of salvation, and He is with us, quote, forever, or literally in the Greek, for this age, the age of grace. Ephesians 1.13 says, In Him, meaning Jesus, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, 
you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. But the part about the Son and the Father abiding with us, that part is conditional. John 14, 23 says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. You read that earlier, Andy. So we have to do works, keeping his word, to gain this love and this abiding, which suggests the place that Jesus Christ is preparing is within the kingdom, and that not all Christians will abide with the Son and the Father. Only those who qualify, as the disciples did, to rule and reign with him. Of course, many others will be citizens of the kingdom, perhaps not dwelling with Jesus, but within his kingdom. And we also know, unfortunately, that some will be outside of the kingdom for the millennium until God the Father wipes away every tear. But that's a more uh, deeper topic, Andy. Yeah, you could read about that in Revelation 21. And for some of you new listeners to our show, just a key point here before we go on, not to cause confusion, heaven and the kingdom of heaven are two distinct different places. You know, the Bible does speak about the three heavens. We know that the first heaven is the, the atmosphere as we know it. It's the blue sky that we see above where oxygen is prevalent and we're able to sustain and survive. Beyond that, once you get into space, that's where the heavenly bodies are, the stars, the moons, the sun, and so on. And the other side of that, now that's considered the second heaven, to where space ends beyond what the human eye will ever know, even the Hubble telescope, is where the third heaven is. And that's where the abode of God the Father and God the Son are right now. That's where Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father, on God the Father's throne. However, Jesus is going to come back and rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years, at which point he will call it the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of the heavens. It's actually a plural word. So we don't know, obviously, extreme detail of what that's going to be like, but we do know, to your point, that that's a place that we have to earn to get. In order for us to attain that position of, of being able to come back and being a part of Jesus's millennial kingdom or the kingdom of heaven, we have to abide in his word. We have to currently, right now, we have to live the best we can according to scripture, be obedient to scripture, submit unto God. And this is really what our ministry, the key of our ministry is, is if you're not a Christian, we're here to tell you the simple way to become a Christian. It's all by faith, not by works. And if you are a Christian already, or it might even be, I've been one for many, many years, we're here to give you the, the amazing news, the gospel of the kingdom, which speaks of the, the future millennial kingdom where Jesus will come back to rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years and he will bring his, his bride with him. Again, a position that we have to attain, we have to you know, strive for. Yeah, I, Andy, I appreciate the digression because there's a couple things that uh, we, we moved past that I just wanted to reemphasize and also talk about. One thing is that we were, we were reading uh, John 14 right after Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, and, then, and then Philip says, show us the Father, and Jesus talks about how, you know, don't you know, basically, by now, Philip, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. So he's talking about himself and the Father sure. and that proof of his uh, divinity and relationship with the Father again. And then also, he immediately after that, uh, mentions the Holy Spirit, right? Same passage, uh, within a few verses of it, he's talking about the fact that he's going to uh, send them a comforter, right? So a helper is the word used in verse 16. So 
what I, the reason I wanted to bring that back up is because uh, a few episodes ago we were talking about all the proof verses that Jesus is God, and we also mentioned that there are two verses that mention the Trinity. Um, we all, one is when the Great Commission, you know, when he actually says the three go into the world and spread the gospel, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So that's one in one verse. The second one people always talk about is when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. You know, the God spoke from heaven and the dove representing the Holy Spirit was there. This is actually a third, and it's a little less cited and less known because, like I said, it kind of happens within a few verses of it. But if you go to John 14, and, and, and you, you have to, you, you, you face a situation where you have to prove that the Trinity is in the Bible, this is also a great passage because right after Jesus talks about his unity with himself and the Father, he then talks about the Holy Spirit as well. So all three persons of the Godhead are right here in this passage. Yeah, amen. The second thing I wanted to, to just to, to sort of reiterate, because we, we got into, you, you rightfully took us on our digression about the kingdom of God and um, some of these deeper truths. I, I think the main point that I wanted to emphasize when we were talking about it was the, the conditional nature of it. We always talk about this, you know, when does, when does Jesus abide with you? How can you abide with Jesus and the Father? I don't want listeners to get lost in that um, all the Bible verses that we read. The main point that we're trying to make is that it, it's conditional. If you if you heard those key words in there, because um, I think people people will again run the risk of reading verses like that and thinking that because of the conditionality of it, that maybe their salvation is in danger, right? So if they're not living as proper Christians, they can lose their salvation, and we know that would directly contradict other passages of. Scripture, like John 10, where Jesus says he's, he's, we're in the palm of his hand, we're in, we're in God's hand, and no one can snatch us out of it. Like, don't, don't lose your faith in your salvation when you read about this conditionality to whether you'll be abiding with Jesus or, or God the Father. Understand that it's not talking about the gift, salvation from hell. It's actually talking about something else, which is the kingdom of God. Now let's move on to the last half of our Scripture reading. John 14, 4-6 again. And you know the way where I am going? Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So, Jordan, let's break this entire statement down. Jesus begins with the word, I am. A powerful phrase he, as God, often used. You know, when we go to the Old Testament and we look at Exodus 3.14, We see Moses here is asking God at the burning bush who he should say sent him. God responded with the Hebrew name Yahweh, which means I am. Also in John chapter 8, verses 58 to 59, Jesus says to the Jews, before Abraham was born, I am. And he connected himself there with that phrase. And the Bible says that Jews picked up stones to stone Jesus because they knew he was claiming to be God the great I am. So Jesus begins our phrase today by reminding us that he is God. What about the quote unquote words, the way, Jordan? Can you explain about that a little bit? Yeah, I think uh, Peter put it best when he was facing the Sanhedrin. He said, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. That's Acts 4.12. You know, in context, Jesus had just said in John 14.6, you know the way where I am going. And Thomas replied, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? 
So this statement by Jesus that I am the way is a response to that, and it also connects with the rest of the passage where Jesus Christ promises that he is going to prepare a place in his Father's house. And he is the way to that place. No one comes to the Father but through him. Excellent. Now, as far as the phrase, the truth, we think of the Bible as the word of God and the word of God as the truth. But we must remember that Jesus is the word. You know, John testified to that in his gospel, in John 1.1. The words say, in the beginning was the word, and the word, capital W, was with God, and the word, capital W, it's a reference to Jesus Christ, was God. And then later, John chapter 1, verse 14 says, And the word, there's a capital W again, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, Jesus was not only full of truth, he is the truth as the word incarnate. Finally, we have the life. Jesus spoke often of true life, that is, spiritual life. For example, prior to the resurrection of Lazarus, he told Martha, your brother will rise again. And she said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And what did Jesus say? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. That's John eleven twenty five. And we know this life is more than overcoming physical death and avoiding destruction in the lake of fire, it also speaks of spiritual life in the kingdom. John 5.24 is just one of the sayings of Jesus that captures this concept so well. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Those who have been with us a long time will know that that phrase, eternal life, in every instance where it appears, actually, is Ionian life or age life. That's the original Greek. In other words, in our passage today, Jesus is saying he is the only way to life in the kingdom age. And Jordan, you know, for some of our new listeners out there, we wanted to introduce something that you might not have noticed. There is a distinct difference between the word everlasting and eternal. Now, in our English dictionaries or looking at a thesaurus with synonyms, they're they could probably pretty much be the same thing. However, Jesus precisely inserts them at proper times because he's got a certain meaning that he wants the reader to understand. Now, in, these, in this passage here in John 5.24 that you just read, the eternal is like you said, it's the word aeonian, which is where we get the word eon, which is an actual time period, meaning that there's a beginning and there's an end for that time. However, there's also instances where the word everlasting is used. and Probably the most common one would probably be John 3.16, where Jesus is telling Nicodemus that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes unto him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. A difference between everlasting and eternal is slight, but it's distinct. You want to comment about that a little? We often talk about how some of these translations are bad translations, but that's actually a good translation because it encapsulates both, um, I guess you'd say, types of salvation. So there's the, there's the never perish in the lake of fire type of salvation, which is, which is everlasting life in that sense. But it also encapsulates kingdom life, right? Because it, when you break it down, you know, um, 
Ionian, Ionian, Zoe Ionian, or how, you know, I wouldn't get into all the Greek there, but when you really look at it, um, it, it is for a distinct time period. And to really get the sense of forever and ever and ever, if there, there's one particular passage in Revelation where it's, uh, it's basically eon on top of eon, that's what it actually says to give you that sense of forever and ever, right? And, and the cases that we're talking about, including in John 3.16, you know, it, again, it's, it's a nuance that's just encapsulating the, the fact that we're never going to perish in a lake of fire, that kind of everlasting life, but also the sense of looking forward to a kingdom and having life there. Yeah, good points. And again, the reason why I brought that up before we close is so that our listeners at home can really understand that if you look at Scripture very closely, you'll have a better understanding of God and understanding His heart and the information that we all need to know as Christians so that we have an accurate understanding of, of what we call the kingdom truths in our studies. Meaning that, again, heaven and, and attaining to the kingdom of heaven are two different things. Yeah, and you know, I, I don't want to put too fine a point on it, but it is really important because one of the things that opened my eyes, as you begin to understand the kingdom truths, which is what we teach in this ministry, um, you come across these classic verses that you probably memorize as a kid if you grew up in Sunday school, and you realize that, wait a minute, it, it stops you because you're like, well, what is this verse actually saying, and, and why doesn't that make sense with this new knowledge that I have? And then you go into the original language, and you're like, oh, you know, the, the translators of the Bible were, you know, they, the Bible's infallible, the translators weren't always fallible, and when they, when they tried to bring something into a, from a foreign language into their, into their modern version of English or whatever, like the King James translators, for example, you know, there is some, there is some subjectivity, some interpretation that went into that, and you really, I, I strongly advise our listeners, uh, whenever you study Scripture, first of all, don't do the, the mistake of just taking a verse, even if it's from your memory, and assuming that you know what it means because it means that in modern day, your perspective as a modern American English, because you'll definitely get off the beaten path. Take, take some time to, to study the, um, the original language and the, and the original way it was written and to understand sometimes even key words. Not every word, but certain words like this one, eternal life, is almost always age life. It's age-lasting life because the Greek word is the same word that we would call eon, and its better translation is eon. And when you say someone, it's been an eon, you're not saying forever, all eternity. You're basically saying for a long period of time. Yeah, and to add to that really quick, Jordan, you know, whenever you read anything in the Bible, everyone listening, whenever you hear something or study or particular scriptures that talk about grace, how salvation is just connected by faith, understand that it's everlasting life is the context. But whenever there's something conditional added to it, like our works, like the parables call for, which Jesus calls us to do, that automatically is part of the eternal life equation, which leads to the millennial kingdom. Yeah, so just to recap and summarize our lesson, Andy, we see that Jesus is God. He is the only way to the Father, and that's the key to justification. He is the living truth, which is the key to ongoing sanctification in our Christian lives. And he is the life, the key to our future qualification and glorification in the kingdom. That's the meaning of those three distinct words, and that is our lesson. Before we go, here are a few more ways to get 20-minute Bible studies. You can listen to a 20-minute Bible study anytime you like by visiting our website. We archive all lessons and make them available for free at 20minutebiblestudies.org. 
You can listen online or subscribe to have new lessons automatically delivered to your inbox. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple and to the Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show. I'm Steve Zioli. Until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Mysteries of the Kingdom Incorporated.